Um, so I'm going to start us recording and then we'll talk for another 35 minutes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to warm up a second time. This is Bread and Barricades, a Labour's podcast. Uh, I'm Nemo, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And this week, I- I'm playing this like game with my friends and it's like a weekly survivor game and um every week we have to give offerings to um the ghosts of people we've killed in the previous <laughs> um weeks and uh this week i cut off two inches of my hair and then p- made paintbrushes out of them <laughs> <laughs> and uh i think it's one of the more unhinged things i've done in my life but also these paintbrushes work really nicely um so but every time i touch anything on my desk now i just come away with like my hand covered in little bits of hair so uh that's been my week very ritual sacrifice Mm. very um yeah horror filled uh spooky (laughs) yeah uh this is stevie she they pronouns uh primary researcher yeah, nothing as thrilling as that. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you not meet my high expectations? I have been doing the where you stare at like well, you have this with the rest of your hair. I feel like you're less of a, a fringe person, but where I contemplate hacking off my fringe oh, periodically. Yeah. So yeah. maybe I was getting the urges from you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like, what if I just do it? And my brother, who's actually like a, a very talented hairstylist, could just like do it for me. But you're always just like, but I'm right here with the scissors <laughs> right now. And then he'll just have to tell me off. <laughs> <laughs> he can fix it, fix it in post. Now I'm just like playing with the front bit of my hair. <laughs> By the end of this hour, Stevie will have <laughs> cut off their fringe. Um, um, talking about having a fringe. <laughs> I wish. Oh, so I, I, I was saying to Nima earlier, I've read this first chapter three times. Like we've gone to record a couple of times. <laughs> Sorry for the lateness. That should have really been our this week. We're apologetic. And I, after the first time I'd read it and we didn't get to it in the episode afterwards, I was like, I remember thinking there's some really, I was Gonna speak for both our dads, but I'll only speak for my dad. And like, <laughs> like what was some really my behavior? Because it was not any of the really unhinged stuff from the last. Mm-hmm. And then on the reread, I was like, oh, it's this. So this week we're on book four. Help from below, maybe help from on high. Chapter one: external wound, internal healing. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, like, Jean Valjean and Cosette, they've kind of still been in the sads a bit. Things are getting a little bit better. Cosette was, like, tearing up a daisy, like, does he? Oh, yeah. And Jean Valjean was like, oh, God. But there's the one, so the one distraction that they've had in their lives still through all of this is taking bread to people who are hungry and clothing to people who are cold. Mm. Um, and sometimes when the day has gone well, Cosette is quite cheerful in the evenings and it was in one of those times that they had first come across the Jondrettes um, mm. which led to all of that tomfoolery <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And it's the day after that visit that Jean Valjean appears at home with this large, extremely inflamed <laughs> wound on his left arm that looked like a burn with some mm. very vague explanation. Yeah. I tripped and fell. Uh, yeah. Just like, you know, these things just happen. Uh. And it gives him a fever, so he's got to stay indoors for a month. <laughs> and he refused to see a doctor. Whenever Cosette tried to persuade him, he would say, call the dog doctor. And that is my father so much. <laughs> like, literally saying the, like, the dog doctor thing. I was just like, oh, this is just like a saying that's been here forever. Like, what? <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah. So, because our fathers are similar in some ways, I just like assumed that your dad is the same. Yeah, unfortunately, mine is the one who prefers um, medical attention all the time, but would do the like, oh, I had to go to the doctor again. So, (laughs) um, yeah, very, um, oh, another thing is wrong with me, but... Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So not a dog doctor, but um, a different rancid energy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Jean Valjean... (laughs) Even more relatable than we previously thought. (laughs) So he's got like, so Cosette is like dressing the wound in the morning and evenings, and she looks very angelic while she's doing it. Um, Mm. I'm sure I would look just as angelic if I was dressing my father's wound, but I was like, (laughs) no, you're going to go to a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And then he's, Sean Bourgeois, he's like, oh, (laughs) this is nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like old times. God. Yeah, his anxieties and fears are dissipating and he's like, what a welcome injury. Oh. What a blessing in disguise. And you're like, a man sure will brand himself <laughs> yeah. instead of going to therapy. Fuck me. And because he's ill, Cosette's not spending as much time in her home again. Like she's doing what she used to do, which was like follow him around his little hut. She's there almost every day, reading Jean Valjean books. He's got a new lease on life. He's literally just like, yes, this is great. (laughs) I probably just imagined all that horrible stuff about that boy that maybe Mm. she's into. Um, I'm an old fool. You know, everything that went down with the Jondrette slash Tenardiers, you know, that they were Cosettes, like technically guardians, but like Mm. abusers. Yeah. Like that that was all such like heavy stuff and such a shock to him, but because of all this like, oh I'm at home and my daughter's here, he's just like, you know what? Like, what does it even matter? <laughs> uh, he's, he's like he's sad for, he's like, you know, the they can't do any more harm now they're in prison, but like it mm. is sad that they're in such dire straits. Mm. But for him on the whole, he's like, This is a net plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cosette, who had been taught some music at the convent, will sing to him with the voice of a lark, a lark with a soul. <laughs> That's when I was like, what? And then you're like, oh yeah, the Christians didn't think that animals had souls. <laughs> <laughs> so she sings sad songs that delight him. And now it's spring and the garden's looking great. And Valjean's like, oh, Cosette, you never go in the garden. I wish you'd go and enjoy it. So she's like, yeah, sure. So she's doing her little walks by herself in the garden again. As he starts to get better and she sees him in less pain, she starts to feel happier as well. Like time is passing. And it happens mm. really gradually and naturally for her. Mm, mm. Um, as 
<laughs> where is the line that he's like because you know april's coming up and you can't help but feel better in the spring Cosette was still too young not to be affected by that April joy. What? Surely everyone's uh, 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 affected by seasonal depression. (laughs) That gloom, and I can't imagine why, does seem to be departing her spirit now that the sun's out and she's going for walks. Yeah, weird that, especially in Europe. Mm. (laughs) And she's like, oh, it turns out I'm no longer very sad. Hmm. And she doesn't really notice at first that she's like laughing a lot and that she's mm. happy, which of course, as we know, makes Jean Valjean so happy that he's like, oh, she's full of delight. I'm full of delight. What a blessing that altercation with the Tenardiers was. Mm. His wound heals and then he starts taking up his little walks again that he would do at night on his own. But it would be a mistake to think you can go walking about like that on your own in an uninhabited parts of Paris without incident. Which takes us to chapter two. Mm. So we're getting more Gavroche now. Little Gavroche. Oh boy. He hasn't eaten. Someone announced, oh, it was Playbill announced that someone's making a, a Gavroche musical. And it's like, guys, come on. <laughs> Fuck off. The restaurant was not enough. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about the restaurant. We never got our tickets, our tables. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like there is a lot of interesting stuff about Gavroche, but I get well, I guess they will make a whole play out of it. Yeah, they will. I feel like we've seen actually a couple sides of Gavroche, because I feel I can't remember for sure, but I think the last time we saw him was when he was just like being a little shit to that old woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were like, okay. Yeah. But a different side of Gavroche today. Yeah, so he's really hungry, looking out for some food. He's sort of in the La Salpetriere area, <laughs> my favourite, sauntering around. And he happens upon an old garden with an old man and an old woman. So not our normal old man, mm. our other old man. Yeah. Um, and in the garden, there's an apple tree. Mm. An apple constitutes supper. An apple means life. What was Adam's undoing might be Gavroche's salvation. Mm. And he like creeps up to the garden, is about to break in, and then he hears someone talking. There's an old man sitting on a bench and an old woman grumbling. Monsieur Mabouf, hmm. said the old woman. But like I knew in my heart it was him. <laughs> but we were like, yeah! <laughs> Mabouf, thought Gavroche. What a funny name. <laughs> my beef. My beef. And he, the old man looks up and is like, what is it, Mare Plutarch? Mare Plutarch, thought Gavroche. Another funny name. <laughs> that basically the situation's a bit awful. Mm. Um, <laughs> Yay. Or, and like, this is about to be very painful, so uh, gird your loins. Mm. The landlord's not happy. Why not? He's owed rent for the last three quarters. He says he'll turn you out onto the street. I'll go. The green grocer wants to be paid. She won't deliver any more logs. How we keep warm this winter. We don't have any wood. Mm. There's the sun. The butcher won't give credit. Um, he'll not let us have any more meat. And he's like, just as well. Meat doesn't agree with me. It's too yeah. indigestible. Oh, it's... What will we eat? So good of Hugo to write about the 2022 <laughs> cost of living crisis. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh... What will we eat? Bread. The baker wants payment on account 
on account and is saying, no money, no bread. Very well. What will you eat? We have apples from the apple tree. But monsieur, it's just not possible to go on living like this without any money. I haven't any! (laughs) (laughs) Just remember when... Currently, we are recording on Monday the 24th of October. We currently have as Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Mm. (laughs) This will change in about four days. (laughs) (laughs) By the next recording, I guess since the last recording... We've already gone through two. (laughs) (laughs) We had Liz Truss because the Queen died last recording oh okay so yeah we're already on it we only had Liz trust for one recording jesus <laughs> <laughs> um but just remember when rishi orders those blackouts that he's uh-huh. that have been playing just remember to be like but it's so cold we have the sun <laughs> <laughs> the sun in time for winter <laughs> yeah literally so yeah the old woman goes off um, and the old yeah. man stays by himself on the bench, which mm. I guess is what we will all be doing. Oh, I thought you meant that she went off as in like, she, well, I mean, she was kind of going off. <laughs> she went she off left. and now she's done. Yeah. <laughs> and Gavroche's first thought is instead of climbing the hedge into the garden, he just like squats underneath it. And it's like, oh, look, it's like a snuggery and mm. just like makes himself comfy to have a little nap. Mm. To feed his hunger, he tried to sleep. God, yeah. us. <laughs> Just, yeah, like the opposite of what I do. Because I cannot sleep, I have to eat to replace my sleep. But mm. I'm going to need to reverse that. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so he's having a cat nap with one eye open. The Looking at the sky a bit, I guess. Because we can see it's twilight. Lighting effects are happening, rest assured. Great, yeah. Suddenly, out of a strip of the whitish light, two figures appear. <gasps> One, stooped and pensive, dressed plainer than plain, appears to be a respectable gentleman of advanced years. Who could that be? <laughs> Walking slowly because of his age, on an evening stroll beneath the stars. Mm. So stars are out. In their multitudes. Mm. Which means God is here? God is here. God is here. Well, yes, because it's the old man, so of course Mm -hmm. God is here. Mm -hmm. The second figure is straight back, assured, slim, with something grim and disquieting about him. Mm -hmm. It's our favourite twink. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? From what I remember. I didn't realise he was your favourite twink. Oh, okay, there's quite a few, but I like him. Uh The full turnout of what was then called a dandy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stylish, frock-cloaked... Fine cloth, close fitting at the waist. Mm-hmm. A See, like, grace. like the Amir are not twinks. You know, they're like fuddy duddy little boy. Like this is a twink. This <laughs> yeah, is our whole twink. last twink. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I always think of the Amir's twinks, but I guess they're more. Just, well, Marius is just underfed. That's different. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's straight. So by yeah, definition. Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> this profile had a rose in its mouth. Yeah, he did. <laughs> a figure that was very familiar to Gavroche. It was Montparnasse. <laughs> and the other one, all that could say- be said about him is that he was some old gent. <laughs> 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 one day, that will be you, Nemo. Just some oh, old gent. <laughs> yeah, being robbed. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I became really protective of Montparnasse during writing my PhD because it's quite oh. a about him being described or like um, in, in what's to come, in literally what's about to come. Um, so we can talk about it later. Mm. But yeah, because of the stuff that is talked about, I yeah became really protective of him. And because he's adapted really badly, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, no, he's got to have a rose in his mouth. <laughs> come on, he's got to be both terrifying and elegant. Mm. One of these two individuals obviously had designs on the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, it's not what it is, but I feel like we've, we just do this to every man who interacts with Jean Valjean. <laughs> but I was like, we've gone on about his tiny waist a lot. <laughs> yeah, like, I genuinely think that, like, if Hugo wasn't a coward. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, like, I think that Montparnasse... You know, in in the 19th century, there were loads of people like Montparnasse who had to appeal to rich gentlemen. And Mm. I don't think that is too beyond belief that that is also what Hugo meant by this dandy of him. Yeah, the vibe is very cruisy. (laughs) Yeah, it is very cruisy. And like, you know, he's about to extort him for money and stuff. Like, it's very, yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Montparnasse on the prowl at such a time and such a place. Ominous. Very. And Gavroche feels pity for the old man. But what could he do? He can't, can't intervene because it's it would just be one weakling coming to the aid of another. Mm. And Gavroche, like, he knows that this dangerous 18-year-old... <gasps> baby! <laughs> um, yeah, this dangerous 18-year-old ruffian would make short work of both of them. And as Gavroche is like, oh, do I, should I still step in though? The attack takes place and it's swift and ugly. The tiger attack on the wild ass. Mm. <laughs> Montparnasse tossed aside the rose and rushed the old man, collared him, grabbed him, clung to him. And Gavroche is stifling a cry. A moment later, one of the men was under the other, overpowered, groaning, struggling with a knee of marble on his mm-hmm. chest. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> only it was not quite what Gavroche had expected. The one on the ground yeah. was Montparnasse. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the one on top, the elderly gent. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> old man get uh no young daddy gets topped by old man old bear <laughs> young fresh twink rose like twink. I'm rose-like trying to find the best like porn title for this. Um, rose. Rose-cheeked young twink gets topped by grizzly old bear. There we go. <laughs> there you go. In 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 public street. Mm, not brought. It's not daylight, but no. A line from that porno. Well, that's a fine veteran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And Gavroche, like he can't help but clap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but because of uh, the competence. Can't hear the clapping over because their laboured the breath, <laughs> breathing, <laughs> mingling in the fray. <laughs> Marius is out. Montparnasse is in. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If this was um, the like Yaoi anime with like the Barra characters in oh it, my God. like the spit everywhere, the lines of spit. But... Mm-hmm. God. Jean Valjean's head, just the size of, like, a pound coin. (laughs) 
bet his shoulder is so broad. Hands bigger than the earth. Hands. <laughs> the elderly gent had uttered no word, voiced no cry. He gets up and he says to Montparnasse, on your feet. And Montparnasse picks himself up and the old boy held him fast. Montparnasse looked humbled and enraged like a wolf caught by a sheep. Uh, and Gavroche is like loving it. Yeah. Um, he's having a great time. And the old man's like, okay, so how old are you then? And Montparnasse's like, oh, 19. <laughs> Let me just check that this is all fine. Why don't you work? And Montparnasse's like, oh, it's boring. Mm. And basically, Jean Valjean absolutely goes off. Uh huh. So he's like, you know, like, what do you even want to be? And Montparnasse's like, a thief. And that's when the old gent's like, uh, having a think first, though. <laughs> While Montparnasse is like wriggling like an animal caught in a snare. But the old man's so strong, he doesn't even seem to notice mm-hmm. the supreme indifference of absolute strength. Uh, holding one hand, with one hand, he's holding both of Montparnasse's arms. Yeah, um, that's a meowy hand that's right a there. <laughs> the wingspan of that one hand. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, the old, so the old man has to like collect all of these thoughts and then addresses a kind of sermon to Montparnasse, which... Gavroche also hold on to every word that uh, it's all so good, but I'm not gonna. I can't. It's like three pages, so I can't do the whole thing. Yeah. Um, basically, he's like, I know you want to be lazy, mm. but actually, what that is gonna get you into is a much harder life mm. because that. So whoever spurns work as boring will suffer it as punishment. If you don't want to be a worker, you'll be a slave. Mm. If you don't want to be work's friend, you'll be its serf. Um, If you don't have the honest weariness of men, you'll have the sweat of the damned. Basically, that what is like looking at an honest man uh, working Mm. will become like basically a dream for you because you will be everything that you see other people doing like a blacksmith or wherever it is will be so much harder for you because you'll be basically like put in a harness and you'll be become a beast of burden Mm. Um, things that other people can do easily will be so painful for you it'll be like anguish Uh, Mm. everything will be an uphill challenge where other people can just go outside you'll have to drill a hole in the wall and where other people can just go downstairs, you're going to have to tear the sheets off your bed and make a rope to then climb down your window into the abyss. <laughs> Not speaking from experience. <laughs> where other people can just like get down, you'll have to fall and mm. you'll have to crawl through the sewers and the holes that you're going to have to conceal that you've dug and <laughs> will be able to when faced with a lock, I'll just be able to get a locksmith. Mm. You're going to have to, also not speaking from experience, but you'll have to take a 10 cent mine coin and slice it into two discs. <laughs> with what tools? You'll improvise. That's up to you. Hollow mm. out that disc. Like I, I think I went into his full explanation of how he made his little saw coin before. Yeah, like, he yeah. gives you the full like you'll make it into a box it's gonna look like a coin you're gonna hide <laughs> the spring and mm-hmm. you'll use that to saw your way out and if you get caught solitary confinement that's the future 
uh, the price of laziness is super high. Mm. Don't you know to do nothing is a fateful choice to make? Will to anyone who wants to be a parasite, he'll be a vermin. You'll eat black bread, you'll sleep on a plank, you'll crawl on your belly through the undergrowth eating grass like beasts in the forest. You're like, you're young now and you want to be like, you want to look good to attract women, you want to curl your hair, wear nice clothes, but your hair will be shorn. You want a ring on your finger, you'll have an iron collar around your neck. If you look at a woman, you'll get a beating. You'll go in 20 and come out 50. (laughs) Not speaking from experience. Not speaking from experience. (laughs) You'll come out bent, broken, wrinkled, toothless, white haired. Mm, And Um, not handsome like me. No. I'm not like the other girls. Um, <laughs> the hardest whack of all is thieving. Um, mm. It's not easy to become a rogue. It's less difficult to be an honest man. I'm going to pause it there to discuss that part of it, I guess. So that was the flyover of most of actually what he says. Yeah, I I, I like this section. Again, I'm really protective of Montparnasse. Mm. <laughs> um, the, the bit that I wanted to point out was like near the beginning because um, it's uh, it's something that's like mistranslated or translated in a certain way in all of them, which is that um, you don't want to be a working man, you'll be a slave. You don't want to be its friend, you'll be its serf. Mm. In the Rose t- translation, she uses Navi, N-A-V-V-Y, um, which also means surf. But the original is, um, <laughs> sorry, bad French coming. Tenez-vous pas être son ami, tu seras son negre, as in N-E-G-R-E, or negro. So you won't be its friend, you'll be its negro. And so, like, one thing that is, like, omitted in pretty much every English translation is that Hugh, uh, that Jean Valjean is saying, you will be a slave, you will become on par with a black person. Mm. And, like, while I was writing this essay about this section, essentially, I was like, okay, let's check the, like, dictionary that Hugo, of Hugo's time. And there wasn't one because LaRousse was like um, writing his dictionary at this time. And so the closest one that has um, the word negra in it is 1874. And it has multiple different definitions because my supervisor was like, oh, well, actually the word negra um, doesn't really just mean black person anymore. It does kind of have the the connotation of like you like servant or worker. And I was like, yeah, but that's, that's because it means that now, right? And it has, it still has connotations. It still has connotations of blackness because that's where the word assumedly comes from. Yeah. Um, and she was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, but to like double check, I did go back and check. And, and um, in LaRousse, again, 1874, the first definition is um, from the race, the black race. Then the second definition is a person condemned to a state of misery and subjugation. The poor are the Negroes of Europe. And then the third definition is to treat someone like a Negro, to treat him with a lot of harshness and contempt. Don't you see they're treating me like a Negro? And so it's like very much coded to be like that same language that we've talked about quite a few times where Hugo's like, slavery doesn't exist anymore. There's only the servitude of white people. Mm. That it's literally that same thing here. Jean Valjean is literally being like, if you don't work, if you don't work hard enough and you become a criminal, people will treat you like a black person. And to be fair, I think there's like, 
some critique here of like I, I like some awareness of the fact yeah like I, I just think it has so much like it can be blasted past quite quickly because you're like oh slave servant and that's not to do with race that's to do with like um criminality and it's like no <laughs> like very specifically it is about race and it is very specifically about class and it very is about how society treats you when they look at you um that one line that was like um if you look at a woman you'll be punished for it or whatever mm. it was is like society will look at you and they will see what they see and that will be a black person and that will mean that you can't come near a woman and yeah i just <laughs> again like i say became very protective of a woman us <laughs> while yeah thinking about this because because we have talked about the BBC adaptation where they did make him into a black person. Yeah. But they didn't make him elegant. They made him into a, like a violent criminal, very like half dressed and like in the script. It's really interesting because Davies does say, I think that Davies wrote him to be a white man. Um, it like doesn't say his race in the script, but it does say he walks down the road elegant with a rose between his, like it literally says in the script with a rose between his lips as Hugo tells us. Mm. Um, so Davies was very con conscious that Montparnasse had a rose between his teeth. Um, and then somewhere between the script and editing, Montparnasse became a very like animalistic, black, violent man. And that's what, ironically is what Jean Valjean is telling Montparnasse in this section mm. like you people are going to see you and they're going to like treat you like a criminal and they're going to treat you like a black person and that's what exactly what the BBC did to him and I yeah. was like god it's so like 2020 <laughs> well, 2019 2018 and like th that's still a thing that's still a thing that the connotation between being treated like a black person and being seen as an animistic, violent mm. woman killer. Ah, yeah. So I, yeah, <laughs> think this section is really interesting. I find it like I guess your supervisor and like the people that you have to uh, officially academically talk about your things with mm. aren't like they're not focusing on race. Yeah. Do you know when you're saying that like that you're like clearly know this is about race and that they're like oh well it can be translated different ways but you know you're like but clearly like <laughs> as you know a layman I guess but mm. I guess we talk about all these things a lot but mm. you know you're just like the etymology of that word of like those couldn't have been more obvious that when they're like oh wow maybe you're right <laughs> you're just like what yeah and like I think it is that like imposter syndrome of like I really don't know any French really truly don't and so I have had to have my supervisor help me translate things and yeah. often sometimes like there are completely different meanings um I was trying to argue that the word creature was used in the same way that creature is because I was like well that's the same word <laughs> right like um that's in my head a creature is like uh kind of bestial we mm. talked about eponine and her, yeah. her creatureness and then since then i've had to change my phd uh, change that section because my supervisor was like actually it's more similar to like one of god's creatures uh -huh. so it's not so like it, it, you know it's like has connotations of like beauty and a creation it's a creation yeah. rather than a like 
thing and i was like yeah so sometimes things like that do happen and so when she was like oh you know it has these different connotations i was like oh okay so maybe the like blackness thing isn't like to do with black people (laughs) maybe the color black has nothing to do with black (laughs) yeah and then was reading this like uh larusco like writes a like 4,000 word etymological essay Mm. about black people that is like well and truly not accurate at all in any factual way whatsoever for writing an encyclopedia and was like no no it's the racism (laughs) yeah well I'm glad you get to be right but sad (laughs) yeah yeah as is always the way yeah Yeah. like I still yeah I remember the um because I didn't watch that much of the show but Mm. all the like promotional images of um Montparnasse Mm. and you're like for the character whose clothing is described for more than anybody else's (laughs) this was certainly a a decision by the uh, costume department (laughs) yeah oh yeah I, I forgot like um the um, there's a an academic called Francois Verger, um, who is a black woman who who basically wrote an entire essay about this article about the word negra in in Larousse's dictionary, and she also acknowledges that a lot of French people would see like, don't quote me on this. I I think like it like backs up the idea that the translation of negra in contemporary parlance you wouldn't necessarily just associate it with black people Mm -hmm. and that there is an association with subjugation but this is where I got most of my argument from is when she was like um quote the that the term Negro has been associated with a history of dehumanization and enslavement goes without saying. This history often encapsulated in the word Negro is with us from now on, part of our common past, part of our reality. And like the fact that it took her writing this, I think it was pretty recently, like 2013 or something like that. Like it like took this very prominent academic to write this in like 2013 to be like, no guys, like, (laughs) obviously it's got to do with the racist past that people are like oh yeah but yeah i wonder how it ended up coming to mean being subjugated yeah (laughs) really random happenstance yeah like uh, yeah and and you know um the like my my following argument is that like so many of the english translators have, have chosen to use serf or servant or navi like no english translation that i know of uses the word negro as a translation of negra and i was like if hugo had meant to focus on the fact that it's like worker inequality or something he would choose a neutral like rather than the like racialized definition Mm. he could have chosen a word like serviture ouvrier like worker or servant he had those words available to him he didn't have to choose the one that was associated blackness so the fact that no english translator has chosen to focus on blackness is another kind of racism which like seeks to invisibilize the the servitude the the enforced servitude of black people and and that connotation Mm. um and so you can come away reading an english translation without ever having to think about blackness yeah so yeah wildly flailing around my hands (laughs) considering how well he like doesn't he really doesn't bring up race often Mm. but then like 
does sometimes, mm. whether he means to or not. Mm. I feel like there's been a couple of those ones where we're like, this, that like surely. But this one, he was actually out there actually doing it. Mm, yeah. And and it's interesting because like in the description of Montparnasse that we do get, he isn't described as being white. He's also not like literally described as being black. I mean, because we have the very like Aryan level white Andras who has like blonde eyelashes, blue eyes, a halo of hair, marble cheeks. So categorically a white man. Yeah. Montparnasse's visual descriptors, we have lips like cherries, lustrous black hair, crimped and pomaded curly locks and his eyes have the brightness of spring in them so his skin is never to my knowledge described as being either white or black and but again even if he was black it would add into the idea that everyone that Tatanadier is associated <laughs> yeah. with is a black criminal so you know it wouldn't be amazing if he was yeah. but an acknowledgement maybe that Jean Valjean is being like, hey, literally, like, we have to work twice as hard. Don't give them anything. You know, it's not an easy life, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that was like, I'm sure it does come across, but not not to Victor Hugo, you all. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, that he's, Jean Valjean is being like, if you do nothing now, you'll go to jail and you'll have to do everything. Mm. Um, don't do it was basically what he's getting at. Mm. Yeah, you, you want to be lazy, but <laughs> it's going to be so much worse down the line. Not like Jean Valjean wasn't trying, like he was trying to be a hedge trimmer yeah. before he went to jail, but then that work dried up. Yeah. It's that very, like, you know, capitalist, like, work, son, but <laughs> yeah. like very much like not coming from that sort of... Being like, you have to work or it's all going to go to shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like someone, a, a, a guy that I used to work for, maybe I've talked about it on this podcast before, Um, when I was working at a butcher's and he, like quite a lot of people, himself included, had been to prison because they didn't just, they, I mean, I was brought up in Croydon and like none of them had good role models or the ability to go to a good school. And so a lot of them dropped out and just like did the quote unquote lazy thing, like by because of circumstances. Right. And mm. it's not laziness. And so he employed anyone at the butchers. Like he was specifically employing young boys to put them in work in order to make sure that they were doing something and yeah. had services to them and role models. And he also specifically hired people who had just come out of prison so that they could have work and that they could have like routine and like people to inspire. And so it was kind of like the older guys were supposed to inspire the younger guys to like continue working and not do crime. Mm. <laughs> and the younger guys were supposed to like be there as like, kind of young innocence so that the older guys wouldn't be like tempted to do anything and like ruin their relationship and it would have worked had the guy in charge not been an absolute fucking idiot dickhead <laughs> who just like took all of these boys to strip clubs all the time <laughs> and I was like <laughs> and like spent all the money on bullshit stuff and I was like you need to be about if you're gonna do this you need to be a better role model to people like you can't preach these things and like try to set up routine and then completely screw them over by giving them an unhealthy expectation of the world yeah. like 
I support it, even if, like, <laughs> even though it sounds really capitalistic, it's yeah. like more the like there are no youth clubs for yeah. him to go to. He needs yeah, to yeah. do something with his hands. <laughs> oh, he's just like, please go do something. Yeah. Uh, so Jean Valjean like does his sermon, and then is like, go away and think about what I've told you. By mm. the way, what was it you wanted me? My purse. <laughs> oh, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he puts the purse in Montparnasse's hand. Yeah. And Montparnasse like weighs it and then is like, uh, with the same automatic wariness as if he had stolen it. Yeah. Carefully slips it into his back pocket. And I think it's just sort of like stood there like, what has happened on this day? <laughs> Because <laughs> it's the old gent who turns away calmly and just like continues his stroll. <laughs> yeah. And the mom is like, you silly old fool. <laughs> who was this old gent? The reader has probably guessed. <laughs> <coughs> really? No, oh, wait, who is it? <laughs> Astounded, Montparnasse watches him disappear into the twilight. Mm. And this preoccupation proved costly for him. Mm-hmm. Because as he, the old man's walking away, Gavroche creeps closer. He gets right up to him without being seen or heard and delicately introduced his hand into the back pocket of the frock coat with the fine black cloth and took a hold of the purse mm. um, and slipped away into the shadows like a grass snake. Mm. And Montparnasse had no reason for being on guard for the first time in his life was thinking <laughs> uh, <sighs> and noticed nothing. Yeah. And... Gavroche goes back to where Père Mabouf, Mabouf was on the other side of the hedge and throws the purse over it and then runs away as fast as he can. And the purse falls on Père Mabouf's foot, which wakes him up because he'd just been like napping away on this bench and is baffled. Uh, has a look through the purse and there's two compartments. In one of them, there's some small change and in the other, six 20 franc coins. Mm. Greatly flustered, Monsieur Mabouf Refer to the matter to his housekeeper. It's a godsend. It is a godsend. <laughs> Controversial opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, obviously, we love Permabuff here. Yeah. If Gavroche hadn't done that, Montparnasse might have been able to live a better life. Yeah, that was definitely Jean Valjean's hope and intention. Yeah, right? Like, because Montparnasse... Like the next thirty seconds after the like Montparnasse is thinking and is like, hmm, maybe I do reconsider things in my life, yeah. and now I have the financial ability to do that because I have this weighty coin purse. Maybe I could invest in whatever schooling, job, apprenticeship. Touches his pocket, realizes that it's all gone. He's seen the concept of being able to afford things. And then it's been literally snatched away from yeah. him before he's able to do anything with it. That would just push me so far into my villain arc. <laughs> yeah. Gavosh yeah. is the, the evil villain uh, of the Well, it's just that... I mean, yeah, that's what the... Like, I, it's... The, everyone, there's not enough... There's literally, like, everybody is so in need. Yeah, yeah. That you just can't do enough good deeds. Because, you know, if Jean Valjean had known, he would also mm. then give money to Perma Buff. And, like, Gavroche yeah. is doing something good because he's like, yeah! And, like, he doesn't even keep any for himself and we know he's literally laid there starving under a yeah. book. But then, yeah, like, <laughs> Montparnasse was thinking for the first time in his life what could have yeah. been. 
I, I wonder how much of it or how many readers of it are like, wow, I'm glad that Montparnasse because he's not a deserving poor person. Mm. He's a criminal po- poor person. He can't change. And like he literally isn't given the opportunity to change. Yeah. And maybe that's also it is that like, you know, Gavroche is like also a force of the world. Uh, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> Where's that play, Nemo? <laughs> what could have been? What could have been? Montparnasse becomes like the new Jean Valjean. He like uh, buys a factory and produces, I don't know, rose plates rose or something. Something. Yeah. And then he gives the money for some reason to support Mabuff. I mean, he would probably hire Gavroche, right? Yeah, because like, the, like, they have they yeah. have history. And like the first thing that happened, like in, in a couple of chapters books who knows in some time in the future the first like Gavroche uh, uh, Montparnasse has a job and he immediately goes to Gavroche so you know it would Gavroche wouldn't have to be yeah it would just like feed the entire economy <laughs> it's about roses and who knows about fucking plants Monsieur Mabeuf <gasps> knows about oh plants oh my god yeah so he would commission the or he would get those um book plates back the like um the yeah the like Image plates for his yeah, books. Yeah, for back. his book. His indigo. His indigo. God uh, damn it. <laughs> Hugo, this is what could have been. <laughs> I feel like our true calling is just like the the lamest offshoots. Yeah. What are the people's credentials who are making the Gavroche one? Do they even deserve Have they even been in the hours? <laughs> The story of Gavroche has such meaningful parallels to our world today, shared Lieb, a former True. president of Disney Music and Soundtracks. Oh, wow. Christ. Have they blood, sweat, and tears, Lamers? <laughs> like we've had to? <laughs> like, it doesn't say anything about their Lamers credentials, and obviously we know that anyone working on <laughs> anything to do with Lamers has to have a PhD and a podcast about it. <laughs> well, in this. Imagine, like, this is literally the, like, oh my god, the Marvels, what if? <laughs> that's, that's literally what we've become, Nemo. We are Les Mises. What if, like, we have one for every situation, we can't stop yeah. doing them. We would have to see, so here comes another next chapter. Loneliness and the barracks combined. The other, like, what if? <laughs> that, I haven't read much further on this, so, mm. like, I'm hoping it doesn't end awfully, but so where I but where I'm at is just amusing and great. Um, so to pivot back to Cosette, we kind of like this is all within like the book, mm. the book, <laughs> like as in you know with <laughs> the book parts. Yeah, yeah. That literally just went like Cosette, Gavroche, Cosette. Mm. Like I don't know, it feels weird to back and forth like that, but mm. regardless, Cosette's heart heartache. It was so keen. It was so intense. For four or five months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then without even realizing it, it was on the mend. Nature, spring, youthfulness, love for her father, the cheerfulness of the birds. It's all just like instilling in her soul. So young and virginal. <laughs> mm. An indefinable something, almost like forgetting. 
So the, the truth is, she's now felt hardly any sense of suffering or fever, feverishness. One day she thought of Marius and was like, goodness me. <laughs> I don't think about him anymore. Yeah. And then that same week, uh-huh. she noticed walking past her garden gate. Yeah. Very handsome officer mm-hmm. of the Lancers. Lancers? Either of those, depending on whether you're northern. Okay, I, I said it how I would say it, and then was like, it sounds wrong. <laughs> With a wasp waist, mm-hmm. a splendid uniform, girlish cheeks yeah. that she's into for no discernible reason, <laughs> um, a saber under his arm, waxed mustache. Fair hair, prominent blue eyes, vain, insolent, attractive round face. Quite the opposite of Marius. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you're just out to fucking get your own OC. <laughs> and a cigar in his mouth. And at the cigar in his mouth, I actually myself pinged who this was going to be. Mm. And Cosette thought this officer probably belonged to a regiment of in the barracks in Rue de Babylon and she sees him go by like for a couple days Mm. she takes note of the time that he does so that she can see him almost every day and she's like oh is it by chance that this keeps happening oh yeah Uh, pure chance and the officer's comrades have noticed that in this little garden there's quite a pretty creature who's almost always there when the handsome lieutenant went by Mm. this lieutenant is not unknown to the reader his name was Theodore Gilnamon. Yeah, cocked by your own cousin. <laughs> and those comrades like, hey, there's a girl who's taking quite a fancy to you. Um, go on, look at her. Have I time, said the Lancer. Do I look at yeah. all the girls who look at me? <laughs> I was like, gay! <laughs> didn't he already I wish I could remember his name that he actually was like can you call me this instead Anne oh oh what was it um, it wasn't Adam it was no it was something stupid like Bernard <laughs> oh it was something like that Alfred Alfred I would rather be called Alfred <laughs> said the officer okay choosing Ch- own name no time to look at girls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What more do we need? What? Yeah, like with a, a huge ass um, uh, cigar in his mouth. Mm. There was um, a, a Tumblr post the other day. Hopefully, I can find it. Which was like uh, because somebody had looked up what the like Lancer's uniform was, and it like I can't remember. Like it had a huge hat or something it was like so silly <laughs> uh, i'll try and find it to send to you but yeah just like people were like imagine tildall wearing this sorry oh. alfred well that's alfred. His, his preferred name on the one hand i was like like you're like yeah he's got no time this is our little gay boy mm. And on the other hand, I was just like, oh, Cosette, get together with him. Yeah. Like, he was interested in magic. That would be the funny, like, <laughs> top 10 takedowns of Marius for Messi. <laughs> Literally, Hugo says it next bit. He's like, this is this is precisely the time when Marius was going to serious decline and anticipating <laughs> death, saying, if only I could see her before I die. Had his wish been realised, had he seen Cosette at that moment gazing at a lancer? 
Mm-hmm. He would have been unable to utter a word and died of grief. Yeah. <laughs> kill him. Kill, kill, kill. <laughs> Whose fault was it? No one's. Marius was a sole person who becomes immersed in sorrow and settles into it. Whereas Cosette was one who sinks into it, but then emerges from it. Yeah. Um, and then it just goes into that. <laughs> Hugo talking about women. Um <laughs> Because that's in that dangerous time, that fateful stage of feminine fancy left to its own devices, when the heart of a lonely young girl is like those vine tendrils that cling to the capital of a marble column or the doorpost of a tavern, that he's like, at this crucial time, you've got to be like careful to not make a bad choice. Uh-huh. Because bad matches are made in even high circles. Just as many unknown young men, without name, without birth, without fortune, is a marble column supporting a noble, a, a temple of noble sentiments and noble ideas. Whereas so many men of the world who have money and polished boots and varnished <laughs> words, if you look at them from the outside, they look pretty great. But if you're looking from the inside, which is where a wife will be experiencing... There'll be nothing more than a pillar of stupidity uh, harboring violent, despicable, and bibulous passions, the doorpost of a tavern. Which, like, I get what he's saying, that he's like, you know, you're at that age where you're just like, ooh, that person's attractive and, Mm. like, impressive when they might be a piece of shit. Mm. (laughs) But, you know, when he's like, because I feel like he's being like, oh, you know, Theodore is so attractive, Marius (laughs) isn't yeah (laughs) but marius has virtues but he's literally like all these men with their uh, money and they come from noble families and blah 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 (laughs) they're like that's literally marius (laughs) yeah yeah it's like so like like if you wanted to make this point don't make marius and tildo literally related (laughs) (laughs) and also tildo is keeps getting snubbed by how much uh, Lucas Spirit Gilnamant loves Marius. So Marius is the richer person with more mm. money, whereas like um Tur- Turtle is literally the one who like can't get any cash for himself. Has a job. Yeah. <laughs> is a respectable working man. <laughs> so you're like, I get what you're trying to say, Hugo, but like <laughs> not like this. Yeah. If he was saying that about Jean Valjean different story 100 100 yeah 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 yeah. what was the was there in cosette's heart still the dormant passion uncommitted love the image of the handsome officer was reflected on the surface was there a memory deep down in the very deepest depths possibly cosette did not know a peculiar incident occurred so i feel like he's trying to because you know uh alfred is so hot mm. i guess is he trying to be, like with the um you know is there memory deep down is that trying to be like oh she could make the same mistake that Fontaine did with this oh. attractive man from money I so see. I was like oh I feel like I'm meant to be like worried mm. that Theodore slash Alfred's a dick yeah and maybe that's you know the line where he's like 
uh, I don't have the time to look at all the girls who look at me. That it's the like, oh, so many girls look at him. He mm. can't look at them all back. Such a player. Mm. But like, that's just like not what I've gotten from him. No, like he helped Marius earlier. Like he did that whole oh my God, he did. thing and did his little silly quest. Yeah, though, though, like, yeah, his name is similar to. Uh, that's it. Yeah. So, like, you know, that's got to mean something. Mm. But then he's not no. like a he's not a rich like poncy person. He's he's a lancer. I mean, he still comes from money, but yeah, he he's not given the same vibes of like, oh, I'm just a rich young student who's gonna like fuck around with girls. But then he did literally say, you know. <laughs> so many girls but he seemed like he's not being lecherous towards her right he, yeah like, he's literally being like i'm not gonna look because i don't have the time to look at women <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna just like lead her on for shits and gigs yeah so i mean yeah if you're supposed to feel fear make ah oh, yeah that's interesting i've always thought that that line of like was there some remembrance in her was like oh she saw someone who looks like kind of like marius but hotter Oh, but oh, I didn't get that at all. I see. Interesting. Yeah, how um, be more clear, Hugo? Say to D me. Yeah, because I feel like that I was like picking up what I thought he was trying to say, but that I was like, no, this is our little <laughs> gay boy. Yeah, yeah, it's so hard when you're warped by wanting all the characters to be our little gay boys. <laughs> This is our transmasculine Mulan character. Yeah, we enjoyed him so much when we first <laughs> met him. We were just like, call him Afro. <laughs> so I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah. But I was just like, even with, maybe I am, maybe you're, you are reading it as, you know, I guess, uh, positive for Marius, question mark. For like, oh, maybe she's just seeing Marius in there. And I was reading it as, being like him trying to make me overly cautious <laughs> but wanting to refuse it because mm. um, I just like because maybe he that maybe he isn't putting down what I think he's putting down because mm. I'm like I, I feel like you want me to be concerned about him but like you just haven't set that up enough for me yeah I think so that would be I, a more interesting reading though and it kind of like 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 if he is setting that up as a red herring but then, like, yeah, like you say, push it a little bit further. <laughs> because if, if Cosette did have, like, an early warning signal of, like, oh, bad man, <laughs> um, I mean, it would save her from Marius. Yeah, because when the chapter started and she was, like, someone caught her eye, I was already, like, <laughs> and then when I was, like, oh, my God, it's the adult. <laughs> Alfred, Alfred, Alfred. I'm like, Alfred, I know you're not interested, but wouldn't it just be funny? Why don't you just bid for each other? Cassette. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More that, that they're like, let's just fuck with him. Yeah, yeah. Where's that fic? Where's that play? Yeah. And I'm sure that, like, Gilnamond, if he saw that um, Tero was marrying Alfred was marrying Cosette he'd immediately be like oh fuck Marius yeah I get access to Cosette hell yeah <laughs> um here's all the money so you know they could it could be a win-win scenario she could go be a lesbian he could go be gay and trans and we're all winning yeah I was thinking like maybe this is a thought for the next time if we remember because you know I feel like it was near the beginning when we were doing the podcast that 
it was like, oh, Marius is Victor Hugo's insert, self-insert. Yeah. He's definitely his little blob, but his little OC. Yeah, yeah. That's, but then, yeah. because we had all the stuff last time about how Cosette is... <laughs> there's been a lot of parallels with Victor <sighs> Hugo's daughter. <sighs> but I was like, oh, what was... Victor Hugo's daughter's mm. actual husband, like that's interesting because <laughs> he didn't want them to get Victor Hugo didn't want his daughter to marry her husband. Yeah, so I'm like, is Marius him? And that's why Hugo, especially in some of these chapters, is just like ragging on him so hard. I see that would be an interesting reading. Yeah, and and um, what. Brianna Lewis said of like finally allowing his daughter through yeah. death to to marry him because I, I was been I've been thinking about that mm. ever since mm. and the like because obviously we know Marius is going to survive and he does have good things to say about Marius sometimes but he does also like he does give Marius grief yeah I wonder I wonder I mean it can be both things right yeah like that all of the it's negative things one. that he's like <laughs> uh, yeah. yes based on my arch nemesis my son-in-law and all of the positive yeah. things he's like huh, a young hot man <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like yeah I guess it's that same thing with like allegories where you're like not everything has to be one-to-one but I was just like mm. he does sometimes really go off on Marius yeah and now I know he didn't want his son-in-law yeah <laughs> but I'm like is it him? Okay, time to get obsessed with a new white man from the 19th yeah. century. Continue the chain. Because <laughs> was it that he was a disciple of Hugo or he was like the brother of his disciple? I think it was the brother of his disciple. Oh, hilarious. Well, much for us to think about for next time. Yeah. But we know his wiki just leads back to Victor Hugo. Charles Vacquier. <laughs> oh, yeah, which again still links to Victor Hugo. <laughs> Oh, I love Wikipedia. Oh no, this is quite sad. When they like went into the water, so they were canoeing, Charles managed, uh, the, the husband, son-in-law, managed to free himself. He tried six times to dive to bring Leopoldine to the surface, but did not succeed, so joined her in death. Oh. Uh, Victor Hugo devoted a poem to his son-in-law, so... Maybe we read that. That wasn't the wacky fun hijinks ending. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like reading through the Wikipedia like Oh, seems like a well, there's there's not much about his like personality on the Wikipedia, but I mean, mm. from what there was seemed like a solid guy, so Well <laughs> So we won't compare you to Marius then, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe he was and maybe that's what made um Victor Hugo sad. <laughs> Well, anyway, <laughs> this has been Friend Back, it's a lamest podcast, produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It was Captain's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, especially if you know anything about Charles Vacquier that you want to share with us, you can send us an email, lamespodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at lamespodcast, or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. Our sound designer is Jade, who you can find on her website, jdwasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com. And if you like the show, and you want to give us money like Jean Valjean gave to Montparnasse to save us from having to do terrible, terrible crimes, you can um, donate to our Patreon or to our Ko-fi. Both are linked in the show notes. If you would like to give us five stars anywhere that you get this podcast, please do that. Because it means a lot. 
Um, thank you for listening. I'm sorry it ended on a bit of a downer. <laughs> I mean, it's Lemis. So. It's Lemis. We've got to be brought back to Earth, flying too close to the sun with all of our uh, uh, AUs. Yeah, we've got to do a jig, like, you know, in Globe Productions or like after Shakespeare shows, like they do a tragedy and then they'll do a little jig so that you're not going into the world so sad. We've got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse jig reverse jig a sad little jester jig we shed a single tear and then walk away <laughs> your day is made worse <laughs>